This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. It's Wednesday, March 15th. Medication abortion access is in jeopardy for patients nationwide. We start here. One Texas judge's ruling could threaten pills needed for the procedure, even in states where it's legal. Abortion medication is the fight on abortion rights right now. That consequential decision could be handed down in hours. And a collision with a Russian fighter jet left a U.S. drone up in smoke near Ukraine. What the United States is trying to convey to Russia is that this is just something that should not be happening and is unacceptable. We'll explain why State Department officials are calling the incident a brazen violation of international law. And the Biden administration is moving to limit so-called forever chemicals in drinking water. There are thousands of different types of PFAS. We'll break down what PFAS are and the danger they could pose to your health. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Avery Harper. Hey there, Brad's off today, but I promise I've got you covered in the meantime. This morning, we're starting with a Texas case that has national implications. A group of anti-abortion activists and doctors have filed suit against the Food and Drug Administration. They're calling for the agency to revoke its approval of one of the drugs used for medication abortions. The FDA announcing that it will allow pharmacies to distribute the abortion pill Mifeprestone directly to patients. Medication abortions account for more than half of all abortions performed across the country. And if the judge decides, the production and distribution of the pill could stop all over, not just in states moving to restrict abortion. Senior national policy reporter Ann Flaherty is here with the details about this case. There's a hearing today in Amarillo, Texas in this case. And how did we get here? What's this lawsuit all about? So Avery, abortion medication is the fight on abortion rights right now. That's because it's easy to get um, and it's ubiquitous. It's pretty much everywhere available in the country, even where it's not legal. A lot of people go online and try to get access to this drug. And the reason being is that it's a lot easier to take at home than it is to try to cross a picket line and go into an abortion clinic. And the FDA has been steadily relaxing the rules on this medication. So you still need a prescription to get it. And you still need to go to a certain certified healthcare provider. That means somebody who's signed off on certain rules on how this drug should be administered. So once you find that provider, they could mail it to your home. That's under FDA rules. Well, abortion opponents have said this absolutely doesn't make sense. The FDA has completely failed to protect America's women and girls when it comes to chemical abortion drugs. They argue that this drug is dangerous, that the FDA needs to pull back on its approval of this drug. So they've sued in court. Any court to look at the law and to look at the science should agree that the FDA has failed its responsibility to protect women and girls. And they've sued in court in the one uh, district in the area of Amarillo, Texas, where there's a Trump-appointed judge who I think might rule in their favor. And so what's happening in court today? 
So this Trump-appointed judge has asked both sides, government lawyers and the plaintiffs that represent these conservative groups that want to ban abortion medication, it's a drug called mifepristone, uh, he's asked them to come in and to have these final arguments. So there's not going to be any testimony. There's not going to be expert witnesses on the stand. It's just going to be restating their facts. But in the course of this case, it's actually a critical point because it suggests that this is their final arguments that they're going to make to the judge. And the judge has to rule eventually. We, he could rule as early as Wednesday or in the days following it. What we expect is a lot of protests on the ground, uh, people fighting over this case and saying, you know, look, this judge, he doesn't have the right to overrule a decision by the FDA that was made 23 years ago. It is by far an overreach. Um, In the first place, this judge should have never taken this case to begin with. We also expect people who oppose abortion rights also to be on the ground and to say, you know, Listen, the FDA has become politicized and it's high time for them to be put in check and to rescind approval of this drug. And there has been controversy surrounding this judge and notice about this hearing, correct? Well, that's right. So this judge has uh, advocated in the past to curtail abortion rights. Um, And they say abortion rights supporters say that they have seen many clues throughout this case that he has signaled he's willing to side on behalf of the conservative plaintiffs. Now, one thing that happened uh, last week was he met privately with lawyers in a closed-door meeting, and he said, you know, listen, we've been getting, uh, you know, a lot of harassing phone calls, um, threats to our courtroom. We don't want to advertise that this hearing is going to happen. Judge Matthew Kaczmarek also referenced death threats that the court had received and suggested that he might wait until the night before the hearing to publicly post it. He wanted to do it very late on a Tuesday. Of course, that plan backfired. Media found out, uh, and they started to report this on Monday. Um, it still doesn't give people a lot of time to get to Amarillo, Texas. That's a, that's a city that's not close to any major airport. It's a long drive from major cities like Oklahoma City and uh, Dallas. So it's still unclear how widespread the protests will be. Um, But, you know, the judge making the case that we think it's a security risk, we really don't want a lot of people in our town. Um, I don't know that he's going to win on that point. And what are healthcare providers saying about this case? So, you know, of course, most OBGYNs uh, are very supportive of abortion rights simply because of the fact that they don't want government regulations inside of uh, their medical practices and inside of hospitals. So you have groups like the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists that are very adamant that a judge should not be allowed to overrule the FDA on something like this. Um, But then you also have some anti-abortion groups that have some doctors on staff who say, you know, we obviously support this if the judge can do this. You know, and I think what it comes down to is, does the FDA have the right to determine what medication is allowed to be provided to the American people. Under a federal law, that says that the FDA has the right to do that. I think if the judge rules in this case, certainly it's going to be appealed, but legal experts really warn too that it kind of opens up this door of challenging the FDA on everything. I mean, it could be even on something like vaccines if the FDA proves something and somebody says, no, we think you're doing that for political reasons, and then they challenge that. So I think this This case actually goes much farther uh, beyond just abortion rights. And what will happen if the judge decides to halt 
production and distribution of the pill. So if he agrees with the plaintiffs, what the plaintiffs are asking is that mifepristone and misoprostol, this two-drug regimen for uh, medication abortions, would no longer be allowed to be prescribed to women for that purpose. Now, they say that the drug Mifeprax, Mifepristone, that's the brand name, Mifeprax, it would still be allowed uh, to be prescribed for people with Cushing's disease. That's, a, that's another purpose of the drug. But it wouldn't be able to be prescribed specifically for abortion. I do think it's worth pointing out, though, Avery, that misoprostol is the, the other drug in this regimen. It can be used uh, to cause an abortion. It's a little less effective. Um, abortion rights supporters say it's also more painful, but it is widely available. It's also used to treat stomach ulcers. So they say this isn't going to actually stop any abortions. It's just going to make it more difficult for women to access them, even in states where abortion is already legal. The bottom line to all of this is that you have this national debate that's been brewing since the fall of Roe v. Wade, and it's about to unfold on the steps of this courthouse in a very small town that is not probably prepared for, uh, you know, the throngs of people who might show up to weigh in on this debate. Well, we'll certainly be watching what happens in that case. And thank you. Thanks, Avery. Next up on Start Here, a U.S. drone downed by Russian forces could escalate tensions between the two nations. More on the other side of the break. With daylight saving time upon us, we're looking forward to more daylight and longer days from March through November. And while setting our clocks forward gives us the illusion of more time, it doesn't necessarily help businesses find qualified candidates any sooner. Fear not, there is a solution. ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is your 24-7 hiring partner working tirelessly to connect you with the right candidate. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, it gets distributed to over 100 job sites, ensuring you reach a diverse pool of qualified individuals. Their smart technology scans thousands of resumes, matching you with people whose skills perfectly align with your job requirements. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a Quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash start here. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash start here. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. 
A collision with a Russian fighter jet downed an unmanned drone in the Black Sea near Ukraine. Now U.S. officials are calling the incident dangerous, warning of unintended escalation. Senior Pentagon reporter Louis Martinez has the latest. Louis, what exactly happened out there? And, and can you describe where this drone went down? Avery, what we do know is that this was an MQ-9 Reaper drone that had taken off from Romania. It was flying at an altitude of 25,000 feet. It had its transponder on, and it was flying in an area that was described as being southwest of Crimea, but in international airspace. Uh, that's when two Su-27 Russian fighter jets approached and harassed it, essentially, for the next half hour. Um, 19 close passes were executed by these aircraft. Several times they dumped fuel on it. I guess there's a way of doing that while you're in the air. And uh, during that last pass, it got too close, and what happened was it had collided with the rear uh, propeller of the uh, drone, and it was damaged, and therefore the United States had to bring down that drone uh, quite a distance away from where it had collided. But um, this is going to be seen as a unique situation. It's being seen as potentially escalatory, and I think you're going to see a lot of effort being made uh, to ensure that this doesn't rise to that level because as with tensions already high because of Russia's invasion inside of Ukraine, you now have something that directly involves the United States and Russian militaries. And I don't think anybody wants to see the, that kind of situation escalate. And I was going to ask, U.S. officials have called this a, a pattern of dangerous actions by Russian pilots while interacting with U.S. aircrafts over international airspace. Was this intended to send a message to the U.S.? I spoke with the U.S. official who said this was just uh, the incompetence of, an, of a Russian pilot. But again, it's just demonstrative of uh, very unprofessional, unsafe airmanship on the part of these pilots. They were trying to harass the this unmanned drone um, by spraying fuel on it. Um, it got way too close. Um, and it's just the incompetence of the pilot, according to U.S. official. Uh, now, at the same time, what they're saying is that this was, uh, well, it seems like it was accidental and unintentional. Um, it's escalatory because at the same time, why should they be harassing an unmanned aircraft? Apparently, in the past, these uh, Russian fighters have gotten close to American manned aircraft and they've done this same maneuver where they spray fuel on it. But this is apparently the first time where it's happened to an unmanned vehicle. But what uh, officials are saying now is that um, this isn't something that should not uh, be happening at all. Um, this was an unarmed uh, reconnaissance flight. And if you it's something that actually should be expected. The United States is gathering a lot of intelligence about what's going on inside of Ukraine, especially with Russian military movements. And this is something that they've done. But the U.S. is being very open about it. Um, in this case, the, the aircraft had its transponder on, and for that reason, it shouldn't have been intercepted. But uh, the Russian aircraft came out. And, you know, you have the Russian Defense Ministry saying um, that they felt that this aircraft was headed towards Russian airspace. We're told it was significantly beyond the 12-mile limit of Ukraine uh, territory as well as Russian territory. So um, they're also making the claim that their aircraft didn't even make contact with the predator, with this Reaper drone. So things are very uh, confusing to say the least, but U.S. officials are adamant that this was something that uh, should not have happened. And do we know how the U.S. will respond? 
What we've seen already is the United States using this uh, very strong language in their statements from the U.S. military. Um, but what we've also seen is the State Department calling in the Russian ambassador to the United States uh, to essentially so the United States could complain to him that this was un- unacceptable. And the same thing was also happening in Russia, where the United States ambassador was conveying that message to Russia's foreign ministry. So it's being handled at the diplomatic level right now. And obviously, I think, as we've mentioned before, this is something that neither side wants to see escalate, so they're going to try to ease tensions, probably. Um, But what the United States is trying to convey to Russia is that this is just something that should not be happening and is unacceptable. And how significant is is this incident versus other collisions and other interactions we've seen between Russian and U.S. aircrafts in that area? Well, there are Russian intercepts of uh, American aircraft all the time, all over the world. Um, you know, the United States flies missions over the eastern borders of uh, Russia, over the western borders. It, it, this is something that happens routinely. And you're going to see this harassment of American aircraft. You've seen it also by the Chinese, for that matter. Uh, this is a regular occurrence. Um, and with some of these cases, some of these aircraft get way too close to the American aircraft, um, flying maybe tens of feet, maybe even less. And the United States calls them out as being unsafe and unprofessional actions. But in this case, we've actually seen the result of some of that unsafe and unprofessional action, which is an actual collision. And that is extremely rare. And that's one of the reasons why you and I are talking about this right now, because it is so rare um, that when it does happen, it creates an international incident. And there's no doubt that this is an international incident that has to be dealt with diplomatically because nobody wants to see any tensions escalate even further. Louis, appreciate the update. Thank you. Thanks, Avery. The Environmental Protection Agency announced its proposal to limit the amount of polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAS, in the nation's drinking water. It's the first federal limit of its kind, and Tracy Wolf from ABC's Climate Unit is here to break it all down for us. They call PFAS forever chemicals. What are they, Tracy, and how did they get into our water in the first place? Sure. So PFAS are a group of man-made chemicals that have been used in industry and consumer products since the 1950s. And they're called forever chemicals because most PFAS are incredibly difficult to break down. Once those chemical substances are bonded, it's very, very hard not only to separate them, really difficult to clean them up. They basically... um fulfill the the characteristics of a ticking time bomb. It's very dangerous. And they're very prevalent in our environment and oftentimes can even be found in the human body. And what are the risks of of that? Well, it's that's a really good question. So there have been a lot of scientific articles that have been published about PFAS and their exposure and the health effects. There's not really anything that they can do to force them out of their bodies more rapidly. We don't have any drugs that will make you pee out PFAS really quickly. You have to educate yourself. Where do you get your water and what do you know about what's in your water? And a recent review from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention outlines a host of health issues associated with PFAS fast exposure from cancer to liver and kidney damage, decreased fertility, other childbirth outcomes that can be quite detrimental, and an increased risk of asthma, thyroid disease, and also um, a lower response to vaccines. So how significant is the EPA's announcement? 
This announcement by the EPA is is quite significant. It's the first time that they've kind of voluntarily come out and said, we're going to regulate a contaminant in drinking water. Previously, most of the times that they've come out with these regulations, it's been mandated by Congress. They're going to regulate six of these PFAFs. So just for your own awareness, there's actually thousands of PFAFs. So I would argue this is a very small step in the right direction. So how can water be stripped of PFAS? Is that easier said than done? Yeah, most definitely. It's also expensive. So if you're a homeowner and you're concerned about your drinking water and that you've been exposed to PFAS in your drinking water, there's a couple filtration systems you can buy. On the less expensive side would be a granulated carbon filter. Um, But actually what research has shown to be most effective is a filtration system called reverse osmosis. Now, unfortunately, that's a pretty expensive thing to do to your home. And in areas around the country where where they have found really high levels of PFAS in drinking water, a lot in like the public supply. There have been some communities that have been installing these reverse osmosis systems on a really big scale at waste water and uh, water management systems. So it's not a very easy nor a very uh, inexpensive problem to solve. But the good news is, you know, I think the EPA is working on this. There was also some money that the Biden-Harris administration announced to help deal with this uh, contamination, pollution, and cleanup. But I think there's still quite a ways we need to go on it. You know, uh, for a, a normal person, where can they find PFAS in their everyday life? Yeah, so PFAS have been used to make things like nonstick cookware, water-repellent clothing, stain-resistant fabrics, carpets, even in some cosmetics. Oftentimes, it's been found in firefighting foams. Basically, any product that is resistant to grease, water, and oil, you're most likely going to find some type of PFAS chemical. And so are they easy to avoid for the everyday person? No. (laughs) The short answer is they're not easy because they really are found in so many different products. There are thousands of different types of PFAFs. Unfortunately, you know, toxicology experts have only been able to study a small group of PFAFs. So we don't really know of all the other thousands of PFAFs out there, what those health impacts are. Um, But that's also where kind of the science needs to go from this point forward. Tracy, thank you. Thanks so much, Avery. After a quick break, people will go to great lengths for great hair. One last thing is next. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. And one last thing. Fillers are all the rage. People use them to hide fine lines and wrinkles, to plump their lips, and to create sharper, more angular jawlines. Now, thanks to a viral TikTok trend, there is an uptick in black women getting the fillers along their hairline to keep sweat at bay and preserve their straightened hairstyles. You do not end up with a sweaty scalp, you don't end up with greasy hair, and your blowout is preserved for a couple more days. It's also known as Blotox and has been around for years. 
it's becoming more popular in the ethnic communities um, just because we do our hair and we do our blowouts and we, we want to go and exercise. Now we're sweating and our hair doesn't last as long. It gets curly, it gets frizzy on the edges. And nobody really wants to have to straighten their hair every single morning. Jill Horn is a nurse practitioner in New York who has performed the procedure on many clients and even on herself. She says there is little downtime and the results can last for months. It does not hurt. It feels like little pricks. The needles are extremely tiny. It's the procedure, which can cost hundreds of dollars, isn't without risk. Botox injections can cause pain, swelling or bruising at the injection site headache or flu-like symptoms, asymmetry of the face, or some hair loss at the site of injection. There's also a small risk of infection, and the filler could migrate to areas it wasn't intended for. We need to start really looking deeply into how does this impact the self-esteem of our teenagers. There are also critics that say the practice is extreme and that it perpetuates Eurocentric beauty standards that pressure women into straightening their hair in the first place. But Horn says this beauty hack is a matter of personal choice. It's kind of like a catch-22. Well, what do I do? Do I exercise and get healthy? Or do I save my hair that I just spent a lot of money on? So why not kind of make the investment and do both? Horn says if you decide to get fillers on your hairline or anywhere else, it's important to find a licensed provider. You can find more on these stories at ABC News or the ABC News app. I'm Avery Harper. Brad's back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.